is if us three are going out to dinner tonight, if you could pick two other people in the entire world, who is at the dinner table with you, me, and Kevin? Well, that's a great question. All right, Anne Maria, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, Ty, you ready? Oh, let's party. All right. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Well, thank you, Kevin. Today we are taking a timeout with the one, the only, the Anne Marie Cook, a CEO and president at Lifespan of Greater Rochester. And Anne Marie, thank you so much for being on the show. A lot of my peers are your peers around the, the 585 up there. I know I'm down in the DFW area down in Texas now, but uh, you have a lot of listeners down here. And, and I'm in Arkansas today, so we're all over the map. My question to you to start right out of the gate is, if us three are going out to dinner tonight, if you could pick two other people in the entire world, who is at the dinner table with you, me, and Kevin? Well, that's a great question. First of all, thank you for having me. But um, politics aside, I think the two people I would pick might be Liz Cheney and um, Hillary Clinton. And again, don't think about politics. I think they're just two extraordinary women who are incredibly smart, um, obviously opposite ends of the political spectrum, but have somehow endured a lot of attacks for what they believe in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would love to meet with them. I think, Tyler, if you gave me one other person right now, especially now, I'd love to be in the company of the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, and I'd love to know how that man, you know, has got the courage to move forward. Well, I, I, I would roll up the chair for Putin then, because I want to know how he let his ego all of a sudden take over the whole country here. So that's, that's, that's what I would like to, I would love to learn that and have that conversation alongside you, Anne-Marie, with him, because yeah. uh, I think you have, could teach him a lot probably in that regard. And as a fellow Fredonian myself, the last time we had someone that graduated from the, 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 the uh, nationally and internationally acclaimed University of Fredonia, State University of New York, of course, I have to ask this question. What was, what was your most fondest memory of Fredonia? Honestly, it is truly the people. I have lifelong friends that I met at SUNY Fredonia. And as a matter of fact, I got a bunch of text messages from them today because um, they just wanted to put a song out that someone reminded them of Fredonia in some of those old stomping grounds at Sonny's and BJ's and a whole lot of other places. But I loved the people there. Yeah. And I have to say, it really just um, changed my life. It was wonderful. What was your most PG memory of uh, Fred Fest then? <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say... <laughs> I, I don't think I have one, but you know, but it was all fun getting together. And you know what it was? It was in that spring when you're just dying to be yeah. outside and the music is going and it's nothing better. Yeah. Nothing better. Because uh, winter starts at about what up there? It's uh, the tail end of July, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right when we're getting on campus, you know, it's already getting, starting to get colder up there. It was amazing. So true. Awesome. You SUNY folks, are, you can crack me up. Amory, what is one thing that your employees don't know about you? Boy, that is a good question. They um, probably don't know how boring I am outside of work. You know, I don't do that much. I read a lot, but they probably don't know that. 
And um, I don't know, they probably don't know. I have two amazing grown up kids now, which I can't believe, you know, and which uh, I'm so proud of. Awesome. What are you reading right now? Well, I always have to say, Tyler, every single night I read an article about aging, something about aging. And there's so much to, to learn right now about the changing, changing demographics of the entire world. Certainly, I've been reading a lot about the workforce shortage issue, a lot of it because we push older workers out of the workforce and we need them, what we can do to retain them. But on a lighter note, uh, I'm reading a murder mystery, Iron Lake. Very good book. <laughs> okay. oh, very nice. And I would love to geek out about those little shortages because it's it's something that I, 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 I'm surprised now at this stage of my career because I've, I've now become interested in the same things that, that you are, is that how healthcare has, I guess, kicked this can down the road, that we knew that this was going to be coming a thing, right? But we haven't done enough proactive things necessary to create those populations necessary to serve the elderly population, as well as the healthy and, and, and younger population that is not growing at the same rate and replenishing those jobs that people are leaving. <laughs> so it's, it's, I would love to obviously get into that later on in the conversation with you because I find that, that work fascinating. And one of the things I know about you is that um, you used to be more involved in politics. Um, you, you, you kind of understand that side of, of the aisle. And um, that's an area that most people uh, have a lot of assumptions about, and, and they assume a lot of how things happen and how lobbying works and all these types of things. What was the biggest lesson that you learned um, in your time and in your work that helps you kind of ensure that you, that you can best serve the community, what you're doing every day here in Rochester? Yeah, there's a couple of key things. First of all, Kevin, it was a long time ago, but you know, um, because I've been at Lifespan almost 26 years, but I think I learned two critical things. One, there's truly a cadence to things. You know, you have to know, understand sort of legislative schedules, how things work um, and how things get done. Because if you don't understand the cadence, you can't get what you want done in a certain way. I think the second thing is, and really probably most important, legislators really wanna hear from you. Mm. And, you know, I think people think of professional lobbyists, they think of, you know, all this stuff that all negative that must go on in Albany and Washington. And I have not truly found that. Um, I have found legislators, they know they're not experts in the field, and they really want to hear your information, your stories from people and how they can best help. Wow. Love that. That is awesome, Amory. I'm so tickled to be on this call right now, Amory. Thanks for thanks for jumping on again. And I was gonna uh, kind of dive in. You know, uh, you've been at Lifespan for what 26 years, you say? Close and, to uh, it, yeah. Golly, and uh, I guess um, my question to you is, how do you make your employees feel valued over there? And you know, to keep we all know keeping keeping talent is the name of the game right now. What what's a few uh, tips tips and tricks you have? for keeping talent and making, making sure your employees feel valued. Yeah, Tyler, I have to tell you, I have the best staff you can imagine. And the work that they do every day is extraordinary. And, you know, one simple thing we do, um, especially in non-COVID times, but in COVID times, we gather like this on Zoom. We have what we call Wow and Buckley Awards. And you have to catch <laughs> someone doing something extraordinary. And we call it, wow, you were extraordinary. Or a Buckley, 
you were working as a team on something and then you truly get a big stuffed animal Buckley. But I think it's sharing stories. I think, you know, part of leadership is explaining how people do great work. And my staff not only does extraordinary work helping people, they truly save people's lives. So each month I get to gather these stories. So for instance, last month, one of our great nurses, Tori, you know, she, she's calling a client, they're not answering the phone. And she thought, well, I'll try tomorrow. And then she thought on the way home, maybe I should stop by that house, just knock on the door. Cause she usually answers. She, you know, the client had fallen. Clearly no one was gonna check on this person and saved her life. And those are the kind of great wow. stories I get to hear each month. Those are the things we get to share with people. Um, and I love it. I love it. And, and, and they wouldn't be willing to go, I would be willing to bet that they wouldn't go the extra mile if it wasn't with your leadership and that environment that you're creating for them and because you're helping connect them with their purpose, I think, in a lot of these scenarios and situations. How have you built that level of trust with, with your amazing, incredible team? And, and how do you, I guess, stay aware, aware of those front um, line stories and how, how you're bringing that to all levels of management and leadership? Yeah, I explained one way, but you know, honestly, I really impress upon our managers, directors, senior leadership to make sure they're telling me stories. And, you know, I think as both you can imagine when we were in the midst of COVID really bad, it became hard. Um, it came, became hard to me to connect with staff because when I hear a story, the first thing I do is jump out of my chair and go over to talk to them. Like I heard, you know, you helped uh, a caregiver who is really struggling and had to almost quit her job because of all the things that she was doing. Tell me about it. What happened? Why did the caregiver wait this long to call us? What can we do in the future? What's the message so we can get caregivers to call sooner? Um, and when we didn't have that ability to kind of go that back and forth, I struggled. I'm going to be honest with you. I struggled because I need those stories to go on each day. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it's constantly learning. And um, when you're here at Lifespan, you see staff huddling all the time. They'll be like, hey, Tyler, I know you know a question, you know, this answer to this question. You come and help me because I need it. And that's what we're always trying to do. And that is why I brought back the staff very early in COVID. I said, we can put up barriers, we can wear masks, but we're a team doing this work. And we have to figure out how to do this teamwork um, in this kind of worldwide pandemic. Golly, that is Trump. awesome. And, what, and we were just talking with Mark McDermott, what hard work this is, you know? Like I was telling Mark, I've done it for a few of my grandparents, you know? And golly, it wears me out over a week. You know, yeah. and, and y'all have been doing this for 26 years. How do you keep the endurance? And where do you find the talent? Like, I mean, are these people just unicorns running around in the woods? And you're like, that's the person that's going to take care. I mean, how do you find them, Anne-Marie? I have to say, it's really big-hearted people out there. You know, and they're social workers. They're trained. You know, they know how to do this. They went into the work for a reason. And you can't work with better people than I work with. That is for sure. And, you know, you, you hit on something like even when you have this family issue, how hard it is. So we spend a lot of time, you know, on staff work-life balance. 
And I always say to staff, honestly, if you just had a tough day, you had a client that you beloved client that passed away, you need to go to the funeral. You need to grieve. You need to take that time because uh, this is hard. It's hard seeing people pass away. Um, they mean something to us. And so it's a lot of work-life balance. It's a lot of giving people time off when they need it so they can keep going for the long haul. I love there that. Go. And I think what you touched on is what a lot of organizations are, are talking about, right? When we go through mass trauma, like we all went through during the pandemic, um, we have fears and, and how are we addressing those types of fears? And we're talking about emotional safety right now. We're talking about um, physical safety, but also what you just touched on was the mental safety. How have you, I guess, continued to um, create that safe environment where people feel comfortable coming to you with these stories, whether they're good stories or bad stories? Because I, Anne Maria, you strike me as the individual that wants to hear both. I do want to hear both. Uh, we coach people through. I mean, we coach people through this. We have a strong system here of helping people grow, helping people learn from their mistakes. And I think a key thing is mistakes happen. And we try not to let those be a big deal. Um, because if you're not going to learn from your mistakes, or if you're going to be punished for mistakes, you're not going to be able to keep staff for a long time. Hmm. You're just not because everybody makes mistakes. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, one of my key mentors early on, it was literally the first day I became president and CEO of Lifespan in 2004. And he said to me, well, kid, you know, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. He said, actually, you'll make a million mistakes. And I, and I said, oh, I hope not. And he said, you will. It's your reaction to those mistakes that matter. React well. Wow. My goodness. Wow. I was just going to ask you about your 26 years of experience. You know, it's always awesome learning from someone with experience rather than just from a book in my mm -hmm. experience, you know, and, and if you've been there, done that, it's just, that's just priceless, Anne-Marie. I think on, on what kind of message you can send to your, your employees or just onboarding or any, any, any employee you have. I was going to honestly, it's funny, it's funny that you just said one of your key mentors, because I literally just wrote down, ask her about her mentors <laughs> right before you said that. Who, who are a few of your key mentors in, in the past 26 years? Well, of course, Fran Weisberg. She was the CEO um, before I became CEO here at Lifespan. We went way back. So I've known Fran for 30 years, an incredible leader. Um, so I always, and still to this day, see Fran quite a bit and ask her questions. Uh, another one was Howard Berman. He was the CEO of Excellus years ago. And um, I was lucky. Howard kind of took me under his wing and gave me some great tough guy. You know, one of those really tough guys, but gave me some great advice. And, um, you know, said a few things to me in the beginning, too. He said to me, remember, never confuse effort with results. You will work hard. You didn't get the job um, because you didn't work hard. You will work hard. But don't confuse effort with results. Focus on results. And I've thought about that through the years. A lot of times when I'm killing myself working, I'm like, why aren't I getting the results I want? And it's like, that's what matters. So you've got to figure out a different way. And I also have to say Carl Carbolata. You know, I don't know if you remember Carl. He was a former president, bank president. 
but he's also been very good to lifespan. He's an honorary board chair and he's kind of a go-to person when I need some advice. That's, awesome. a, that's amazing that you've created this. Uh, I think Mark referred to it earlier as his uh, social board, uh, which I really like. Yes. Just, yes. I, I like that because it is who we go to when we have questions. And, and mm-hmm. Anne-Marie, I know you're, you're of the leadership mind that you go internally and ask those types of questions as well and feel comfortable that the great people that you've hired are closest to those problems are probably the ones that have the best answers to those questions and, and finding the right solution. Um, but I got to ask, because uh, Tyler mentioned it earlier, seniors, just like childcare, it takes a special person. And same thing with healthcare, it takes special people with big hearts, like you said. What got you interested in seniors and, and, and taking care of our seniors and improving the quality of life that they have at this stage of their life? Why did Anne-Marie get so passionate about this? Well, I, it's a crooked road to this <laughs> job. So let me just say, Um, As you mentioned before, I was working in Albany and did, uh, you know, did some staff work for aging and healthcare. So I've always been interested, but I've always been interested in human services in general. So I will have to say that it became a time when um, I really wanted to do more, not so so much policy work, but going back in human services that I knew Fran Weisberg, like I said, and was lucky enough to be hired here. But I never imagined it would be a long-term job. And what was interesting to me was how different sort of on-the-ground work was from policy work. Hmm. And that, you know, good intentions through some legislation or whatever are great, but it's a totally different experience on the ground. And so I've tried to use through the years and um, that information to provide that to policymakers. I'm often asked, I did was asked this morning, look over this piece of legislation, what do you think? And my response was very well-intentioned. It won't do a darn thing on the ground to change people's lives. Wow. You know, uh, at least from my perspective, they can ask 10 other people, but, um, but well-intentioned legislation, but you really need kind of that back and forth uh, and it's a key piece of my job that I still love, as you can tell. Yeah, I can tell you light, light up when you get to talk about that part. But like you said, they admit that they don't know. Um, and, and I think that's sometimes the biggest challenge is, is, is that ego work, because admitting that you don't know everything shows a sign of weakness. How have you gotten yourself comfortable with proving like, I don't know everything, but let me help show you what I see and why that it's well-intentioned legislation, but it will fail. How do you get comfortable and how do you, how do you get them to see, I guess, your point of view? You just keep in persistence. Hmm. I mean, honestly, everything with uh, policy work or funding work is persistence and knowing that sometimes you will not get what you want when you ask, but you keep going back. And I always say, I will be back next year to ask you for the same thing. If I didn't get it the next year and I have, um, that's what I know to be true about you because you are <laughs> persistent and, and you are getting some of these things done and changed and and what where, where is where are we headed in, in your estimation and how do we improve I guess the care that we are providing our seniors is and and I don't mean it to be and I know this is where you're passionate about too is just to be another thing of the haves and the have-nots from a from a cost perspective how do we take money out of it and really provide that quality of care that everybody deserves at that stage of life I think this is the moment. I've never seen a moment like this before because of COVID. And um, 
when you saw what happened in long-term care, and this really, I, I don't mean to say anything negative about long-term care providers, but we as a society were not prepared and could not provide the best care for a whole lot of reasons to older adults. But honestly, in the community, I saw the same thing. I just saw different things. We isolated older adults. They became lonely. Um, they declined physically and mentally. And we weren't prepared on that end either. I feel like it can't be evolutionary anymore. These minor changes to make things better, it has to be revolutionary. And we have to really look at all of long-term care. We have to change it. We have to make sure that older adults receive the care they deserve. I mean, I would bet you the three of us would not want to go into a nursing home today. And why wouldn't we? Hmm. We don't want to be dependent. We don't want to be bored. We don't want to be lonely. Hmm. We don't want to live on somebody else's schedule. We're not going to do that. And COVID showed us we can't do that anymore. So we have to be a bit revolutionary about how we change long-term care. Whew. There's some fire in that passion right there, <laughs> Kevin. Golly. I'm, I'm getting on that locomotive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fired up over here. Yeah, Golly. I was going to ask you, what, what do you want people to know about lifespan? you know, that they might not know. I could Well, Tyler, I could go in and begin describing our 30 different programs and what we do for people, but I don't want them to know that. I want them to know we're your first call. If you have a question, any question, just call. And if kind of the biggest concern I always have, and I mentioned it earlier, is people call us so late, you know, and if you call sooner and we can think through the right plan for your family, for your loved one, it makes it so much easier. So if I, you know, if there's one thing I want people to know, pick up the phone or email us and say, my mom's becoming more frail and I'm worried. Who do I talk to about it? Are there other housing options? It may not be for today, but maybe for tomorrow. But can you just tell me what my options are and how do I pay for them? That's what I want people to know. That's amazing. And you I would painted that well, pretty easy of, for me there. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I wanted to, I guess, ask uh, to, to, to continue on that same path is that you are the first call, but and you might keep it's bringing this up. We're late, right? People are late. It's too late at this point. Is that because it's similar to in, in personal finances and benefits and some of these other things that people are, are embarrassed that they don't know themselves and they're, they're scared to ask for help? In your estimation, Anne-Marie? I think it's that, Kevin. And I think that if you have one good day, you're hoping that your parents get to where they were before. And so it's like, okay, we lived through today. Let's see if we can get through tomorrow. But, you know, that 10-minute phone call might lead you to a meeting, might lead you to a plan, might lead you to some things that make your life a little easier. Um, so I always say, just pick up the call. Even if your question is, mom and dad are getting more frail and we go through things and you say, well, we did get through today, but I do know where to call now. If it really gets bad, you've already made that first step. I love that. And sometimes that first step, as we all know, is the hardest part. It's just the, yeah. the mission and especially a lot for a loved one that we've promised that hey, I'm not going to put you in a home, mom, we're going to keep you, keep you safe here at home. I mean, sometimes we, those promises that uh, under normal circumstances that we were did make, um, we want to keep. So I, I love it. And thanks for all the incredible work that you're doing, Anne-Marie. 
Well, Amory, you. You, you mentioned some stories earlier that you love stories and you, you shared one with us, but can you tell us your all-time favorite story about one of your work, your, one of your employees and, and what y'all do over there? Well, I mean, so much of what we do is elder abuse prevention. And so I think one of my favorite stories was a story, and she gave us permission to use her name, was Ellen Stubbs. And Mrs. Stubbs was a nurse. She was a civil rights activist in our community. She started several nonprofits here, and she was a spitfire. And one day we received a call from the hospital saying, um, Mrs. Stubbs is in the hospital and we need your help. And Mrs. Stubbs, as tough as she was, as accomplished as she was, became a victim of elder abuse. And it was her son, allegedly, because we haven't proven this, who was stealing money from her. And one day when she said, no, you can't have my money anymore, she was beaten in the head 35 times with a blunt instrument. And, you know, our staff member went over, we helped Mrs. Stubbs in a variety of ways. Um, and, you know, I think what really got me was when we said, this is an incredible story that would help so many people. I know it's hard, but would you mind sharing? She said, I'd love to. What I've learned during the civil rights um, movement is that community organizers tell their story and that's when things change. And she went on a video and she told her incredibly painful story that we still use today. But, um, and even from that experience, I mean, she helped so many people through her life, but through that experience, she helped even more wow. until her, um, until she passed away. But we're still using her story today. Well, that's, that's a, that's a purpose I can get behind or joining, joining the forces there at Lifespan. That's incredible. And, and I love, I think, I mean, we wow. know of uh, another historical figure like Jesus who taught through stories and, and only yeah, stories. Right. That was the best way. So we know it's a highly effective way to, to connect with people on an emotional level. And once we connect emotionally, then, then it's less about us and more about them. And, and, and it's a, what, what, a, what a different place this world would be if that was the case. Um, as you continue, I guess, in your journey and your evolution within leadership and, and, and being in an organization for so long, what have you seen, right? Where the levels of change and, and, and how we need to get comfortable with change. What have you seen over your time? So you're constantly reinventing yourself and the organization to best serve the community and the population. Boy, everything has changed about aging. I really, in my 26 years, I mean, the first thing is the, just the sheer numbers of older adults. Mm -hmm. and, and we are in this kind of demographic change that I think we're unprepared for, not only locally, nationally, but internationally. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just gonna be so many more older people and it does make a difference in terms of healthcare and care in general. I don't think that we've prepared for that. Certainly locally, what we've seen is that older adults are, are not living as well as they used to. In our community, we used to have the big three employers, Kodak, Xerox, Bausch & Lomb. They all had pensions at some point. Now we're beginning to see older adults without pensions. And what we know is people can't live on Social Security alone. Mm -hmm. So people are struggling out there. Struggling, unlike that I've seen, you know, in a ever, I'm going to just say ever, just to survive. So, I mean, I think once again, we have to look at the issue of older adults in poverty 
as much as we look at other segments of the population and what are we going to do? I mean, and then the other thing is I'll go on the opposite end of the spectrum. There are some older adults that are living healthy and uh, really thriving in really, you know, aging really well and aging for a long time. So, I mean, it's not unusual mm -hmm. for us to see people in their 90s, you know, thriving, a few of them still working, but I mean, certainly thriving. It's not unusual for us to see couples in their 60s that still have both sets of parents, yeah. you know, and they're maybe trying to figure out how to care for them. But I mean, think about that 30 years ago. That would not have happened, but it's happening today. Yeah. I just read an article the other day that the first person that lived to see 200 was, has already been born, is what they said. And I was just like, holy cow, 200? <laughs> My <laughs> God, <laughs> I could not believe that. One of the things that, it, that you mentioned, though, is like poverty and older adults. And, and we asked Mark a similar question earlier was about like the necessity of childcare, right? Is so both parents can afford the American dream and they both have to work. And they need childcare. Well, this is also a need that's going to be rapidly evolving very quickly of taking care of mom and dad, just like you would a child. How are you helping businesses and the, the environment of within our community to, in, to brace for impact, let's say, for, for that perfect storm that is rapidly approaching? And what can businesses start to do today to really prepare their employees and, 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 and give them what they need in order to properly take care of their parents? Yeah, we're doing a lot of respite stuff right now. We're, you know, developing different respite programs throughout the community and churches and at home, um, helping people with both voluntary respite and reduced price respite kind of programs. We're also helping to reestablish some daycare, adult daycare. Now, most of them closed during COVID. So once again, this is sort of reopening helping people reopen for that reality that daycare is an, a, a wonderful thing for some people and they'll need that. And then finally, working on a lot of groups about the workforce shortage issue, you know, for many working uh, adults who have loved ones who need care, they need home care. And of course, there's home care shortages as well as a whole lot of other health care shortage needs. So we've got to build that workforce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and rebuild the trust, I think, is what, is what that has been lost during the pandemic. And, and I think we will with great leaders like yourself, Anne-Marie. I think that's, that's a, I'm glad you're leading that charge. And Tyler and I will, will, will run through that brick wall for you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And uh, Anne-Marie, I was going to ask you uh, about being like proactive about our health, right? Like, um, I got hit by the cholesterol monster and some blood work a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You know, they're like checking for calcium buildup in my heart. I'm like, no way, dude, I'm 37 years old. You know, <laughs> do you guys have the advocates over there or, or do you see the, the generation or, or going forward, um, you know, uh, I don't even know, educating the youth a little bit more. I mean, I grew up on fast food. You know, I was like, yeah, of course, I know the value mill one through 10 at Taco Bell, McDonald's and Burger King. What's wrong with you? You know, so do you see that going forward to help out a little bit? I mean, I don't think we can just have the, the workforce to help out these people that need the care. I mean, I think eventually, right, we got to be a little proactive yeah. and take yeah. care of ourselves. How do you how do you see that going? You know, for us, we do a lot of that, Tyler, not so much younger folks, but older folks, you know, and we always say it's time for you to take care of your own health care. So we do a lot of Tai Chi for arthritis 
We do programs on living healthy with diabetes and how to eat the right foods. These classes are ongoing. Living with chronic diseases, how you do that. Walking groups from some of our senior centers. But I think a lot of people can take ownership at any age of their own health care and do something to make yourself a little bit healthier, and it makes a difference. Wow. I'll tell you that at night, um, oftentimes when I'm cooking, I stand on one foot. My husband thinks I'm crazy. And I always say, I'm going to tell you, balance matters. And you're going to be happy later <laughs> on when I don't fall because you'll have to pick me up. So, you know, it's, it's funny that you do that because when I was interested in healthcare, I would ask, like, I, when I was doing my rotations, I'd be like, how do I not make sure my body ha that happens to my body? Like, yeah. I was seeing total knees, total hips. And I'd be like, how do I make sure that doesn't happen to me? And it's funny to hear that you're standing on one foot. Here I am always sleeping on my back because they're like, you want lower back pain later in life? You better start sleeping on your back. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it is amazing to know like how some of the decisions that we're making every day in our lives right now, we don't think have an impact, right? But it has a long-term impact. And it, doesn't, it might be 40, 30, 50 years by the time that you actually see that impact. That's incredible. What was the one thing that you've learned as a leader um, that help, has helped you to become this, as Tyler said it, the one, the only Anne-Marie Cook in Rochester, New York. Well, I heard something a long time ago that said um, our inability to make things perfect doesn't absolve ourselves of the necessity to make it better. <laughs> and so you get a lot of times when you're trying to develop programs and people say, well, let me poke holes in this. And it's like, you know, I really cut them off at the pass to say, yep, you're right. It is not perfect, but it will make something better. Wow. And we just have to start. And um, I try to do that all the time with starting programs. And, you know, staff and others will push back. Like, you didn't think about this and you didn't think about that. I go, I did think about it. I don't know how to solve that problem. <laughs> I just know if we start, this is how what we can achieve. Wow. And just trusting and you're trusting of the people you're trusting of the process that they're going to figure out those smaller details, but you know, that's, a, that's incredible. That is awesome. My wife and I were just talking the other day, what nonprofits to join down here in Texas. And I said, it doesn't matter. Let's just start somewhere. Just like what you said, Amory. I, I just <laughs> throw me in something. Let me start. I'll meet the right people. And then I'll meet their friends or friends or friends. And you know, that's kind of how, how the world works. I think people get too caught up in perfection. Like you met men mentioned you know it's like i'm gonna sit here for weeks upon weeks about some perfect idea that doesn't exist a lot but of corporations just... like she said that we no longer have had that same lesson they had to learn actually so yeah it's <laughs> amazing to me uh, us, us adults can make something so so confusing sometimes and mm -hmm. you just start and you know I, I don't even know where i learned that from you know but I, when i hear people like amory cook say i'm like okay i'm on the right path somewhere so uh, thanks for acknowledging that, Anne-Marie. And I remember sitting in that seat right over there, I think. Is that where I was? Is, are you in your office? I am in my office. And yes, you were right there. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I guess, Ambria, I just wanted to, I guess, ask you, I'm trying to think of, well, I mean, we covered a lot here quick, yeah, guys. We have. Um, yeah. Especially with Mark, Mark uh, right before you. And you're right. Mark's right. You blew him out of the water, Anne-Marie. <laughs> yeah, he, he was right about that. <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> oh, just wait. Yeah, the person is pudding. Um, yeah, but uh, I was going to ask is if, you know, for guys like Kevin and I, what would your advice be to us to, to get involved? 
um, and, and helping seniors out. And if that's the way we'd like to go somewhere. I mean, I know it's a ton of hard work, but I could, I could probably sleep pretty well at night if I helped a few seniors out here and there. What, what's your advice on getting, is there any nonprofit ship you know of uh, like nationally or what would your advice be to us? Um, nationally, there's probably very few. I mean, cause we're all kind of local. You okay. know, it's kind of like all politics is local, all nonprofits are local, you know, mm-hmm. except for the big ones. But, you know, when people ask me, I just want to, you know, help. I don't know what to do. And right. then people get a little afraid. I always say we have everything from calling an older adult once a week to check mm-hmm. in on them, all the way to being an advocate in a nursing home, every single week being wow. in there and everything in between. And, you know, sometimes just picking up the phone and devoting 10 minutes a week to say, hey, just want to call. How, how's it going today? How was your week? That makes people's day. Absolutely. And during COVID, I, I got a letter from an older adult. You know how, you know, some older adults, it's difficult to write. So the writing was all a little off. And, and she said, um, I know COVID's almost over. Now, this was in 2020. Little did she know. She said, um, but please don't take my volunteer caller away. It's the only call I receive every week. And so then you know how those little things make such a difference in people's lives. Oh, wow. Goodness. One of the things I wanted to ask, because you you, you brought it up on how your volunteers are in um, a lot of these senior care facilities, and Tyler, myself, and you, obviously, we don't want to be spending any time in the nursing homes right now, unfortunately. Um, now you pour gasoline from the healthcare shortage, right? And now that we're increasing the wages on what we're spending to people, we're passing that through inflation. And obviously, these healthcare system, our senior care facilities can raise their rates, but we're already saying that people don't have money and they've stopped paying for long-term healthcare insurance at this point. They don't have pensions anymore. What my fear is, right, is that 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 profits over people. Um, if if that is the mindset of some of these facilities is that we could be in a very dangerous place how do we prevent ourselves from I guess getting to that place and is it more at home care and keep trying to keep people in their own um, facilities their own homes longer like what is your what is your solution or what do you see as a long-term solution to this growing need right now Anne Marie well about 80 to 90 percent of people want to remain in at their home for as long as possible so, I mean, I think we have to look at it from the customer's point of view, the older adult's point of view. We have to support them in the community for as long as possible, work on these workforce shortage issues, try to get people healthier, you know, or at least take control of their own health care, whole variety of things. Um, but really in long-term care, we're at the crisis. You know, people can't afford to pay for it. It's being paid for right now through Medicaid, through taxpayer dollars. It's unsustainable to be honest with you. That's part of the revolution I think we need to have about how are we going to do long-term care that makes sense to the person that honestly is respectful of them, uh, but also in a way in which we can afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, So now is the moment, whether or not people want to deal with it or not, we have to start dealing with it. Well, thank you for not kicking the can any further. <laughs> and actually, and, and it's all, and it, it's amazing to hear just your leadership. And I think this is what Mark was saying is that you could lead IBM one day is that 
you see big picture. I think we are all results driven and we all have these big goals, but you are focused on also what is required from an inputs perspective to get those desired outcomes. And I think that you're actually solving um, proactively, like Tyler said, with the healthcare, you know, and education and, and making people aware of these resources. What are other things that uh, I guess as a community that we should be aware of, of, of what Lifespan does and and if we do have questions, how do they con connect with you? And, and what, are, what are some other things that we should think about when we think of lifespan? Yeah, I mean, certainly our care management, sort of social work services and healthcare coordination with folks. And I, I mentioned elder abuse prevention, um, but some things we do are help with minor home modifications to help people stay at home longer. Uh, I always say, there's nobody in the world that gets letters about how a raised toilet seat changed their lives other than me, but I get them. It's like, you know, I know it's an odd thing to write about, but thank you for the toilet. No, I do get those letters. I mean, very funny, but get them. I mean, it's certainly a variety of senior centers, older adult centers, we call them with activities and food and things like that. But as I mentioned earlier, the one thing I want people to know is we always have social workers on the phone ready to listen to your concerns. And you can call Lifespan, 585-244-8400, or you know, Google us, we have, or email us, whatever you need to do. And you can see our whole array of education programs and direct programs that we do. One of the coolest resources is your ratings of all the senior living care facilities within our yeah. area, which because it's a quick glimpse. Every, it's, it's really hard. There's no Amazon for senior care facilities right now that right. you can quickly go on and read reviews. And um, I just love that as a resource as a lot of people have questions because they have never really needed to explore. Oh, and I was laughing about the toilet, Amory. I saw my old CEO at Wagmans before I came down here at eHealth Technologies. And I said, Ken, how you doing? He goes, dude, I work for this company that when you sit on the toilet, it reads your heart rate and all this stuff. And he goes, Tyler, my life's in the toilet. <laughs> so I just wanted to throw that in there. I was like, yeah, man, I've heard people get hyped about toilets too. Um, uh, I was going to say, um, when you became CEO and president at Lifespan and when you when you that that very first day that you, you that you got the job who was the first call who did you who did you tell first that said you know hey I am the CEO of Lifespan well it was probably my husband I can't remember <laughs> and I was lucky because I was the COO before that so the transition wasn't as great as it is for some people although um you realize quickly it's a different job. It's a much different, it's an outfacing job. It's a looking at trends. And I always think I'm probably the only person in the agency that when we make a decision today, I think, how will that impact us three years from now, program-wise, impact-wise, financially? So, you know, you have to, it's a transition. And I know for a while I struggled because you know the old job so well that I was doing both jobs and you have to let it go. Mm -hmm. And I have some great people that I can let the day-to-day -day stuff go mm -hmm. so that I can focus on these bigger issues so that we can make sure Lifespan is pointed in the right direction and work with a great board of directors to always be asking those questions. Where are we going? What are the trends? What do we need to do? Awesome.
Awesome, Emery. In, in such a fast-paced and changing environment, we talk about like the the strategic planning in most organizations that 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 was a once a year activity. And, and now we're talking about strategic plans that it can change on a dime. How are you starting to factor that in as to in this, in this new type of world of work that we are living in that is so different than pre-pandemic? Um, what are you doing as far as strategic planning? And, and, and is there any tidbits of advice that you would give younger leaders um, at this stage of their career if they are just stepping into their first leadership role? I guess the one thing I would say is limit the number of goals. You know, I've seen strategic plans where all of a sudden they have five, six, some even 10 different goals they want to achieve over the next three years. And you know what happens? None of it gets done. (laughs) And so, you know, I would say pick two goals or two things you want to do this year. And sometimes one thing, but um, pick those two things and beat it to death until you get there. Um, and then you'll feel, feel like you can pick the next couple of things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, and I've made that mistake, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. I've made the mistake where we have six goals or 10 goals and we're trying to juggle them. We never got there. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I said, let's focus. This is the most important thing this year. All other stuff kind of runs. Mm -hmm. This thing will get us where we need to go. So we're going to talk about it every single week. Wow. Wow. And I'm sure there's been a lot of conversations and you're just being available. And I think people feel obviously the trust uh, that they have that safe space and they can share the good, the bad and the ugly uh, with you and know that they are fixing or working towards the resolution of that particular challenge within the organization or, or externally in the community. Uh, Anne-Marie, I just wanted to say thank you so much um, for all the incredible work that you're doing in our community. And I, I want, we always have fun with some of the CEOs at the end of the episodes, just asking interview questions to how 26 years ago, you might've forgotten that first job there at Lifespan. Uh, and my first question is, I would love to know if you could write a book, what would it be? And, and what, would, uh, what would the title be? And what would it be about? It would probably be, don't worry so much. <laughs> know um that things have a way of working themselves out now i like to believe that i have a a role in helping them work themselves out but you know there were a lot of sleepless nights that i should have just slept you know and um i would have been a better person the next day if i just let myself sleep (laughs) or let it go like you said (laughs) And I think that is so wise because just sometimes trusting the people that you have brought around you and have developed those relationships, trusting them to get that day-to-day done where you can focus on more strategic things, that's, that's empowering because we, time is, time is uh, the only thing that's finite, right? We're, we're not getting more of it. We're not rent, We can't buy more of it. We can't rent it. So really protecting and valuing and putting our value on our time. Otherwise, no one else is going to do that for us. So I, I, I just love that. Um, so Tyler, what's your interview question for Miss Anne Marie? Well, I was just going to tell Anne Marie how how about how good she makes me feel. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm smiling ear to ear. <laughs> when when people ask me, like on specific life things here, like when people ask me, "What are you doing today?" I say sometimes I say, "Well, I'm going to get good sleep tonight. That's my goal today." And they're like, "Freaking crazy, man!" And I'm like, "No, dude, I'm getting good sleep tonight. How about you?" You know, so I, I can't applaud that more, Anne Marie. Just you know, t- take it easy. Don't worry so much. Don't take yourself so seriously because no one else does. You know, stuff like right. stuff like that you know is uh, what i've been groomed to, to live by 
But uh, Amory, uh, I don't have a, a, an interview question for you, but besides just thanking you so much for being on our show today. Um, well, thank and, you so much. I mean, really yeah. kind of you to have me on your show. Um, oh. And I just really appreciate it. Yeah, it was our it was our pleasure and our honor. We are lucky that you said yes. That's where we're lucky. <laughs> we're just you guys. We do this as a passion project, and we consider ourselves lucky to have leaders like yourself. Um, not only for the the leading of the people of your employees, but also the leading that you're doing external for our seniors and uh, the future generations to come. So thank you so much for all the incredible work you're doing, Anne Marie. And uh, if you ever need two people uh, to to rally the troops, uh, let let Tyler and I know. We're here to help. Yeah. All right, I'll call you. <laughs> All right, we're, we're available. <laughs> Thanks so much, Emory.